Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Caught a bunch of warrants. Uh, federal, I was wanted by the FBI for breaking, uh, robbing post offices, trafficking firearms, prostitution, um, Drugs, money, counterfeit, stolen mail, or possession of stolen mail. And they tried to get me for racketeering in this whole charge. I was like 24 years old. Um, but to like just be honest with everybody who's listening, I was really just a tweaker. I was just doing mayhem. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this episode with Jamie and Sandra. This episode is a little different for a few reasons. Firstly, I'm sitting down with two people, which is something I don't often do. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever done it on this podcast. They're also in the middle of doing the thing they're trying to do, which in their case is doing air sports like base jumping or paragliding in every country. And normally I don't like having a conversation with someone about a project until they've finished it, come home and had a chance to digest it all. But these two people are a little different. Their stories are fascinating. Jamie was an addict who ended up in prison and Sandra has struggled with alcoholism in the past. Both grew up in group housing and adventure and exploration have been their method of escape. I personally found their story and their journey fascinating. But I should say that this episode is fairly chaotic, hopefully in a fun way. They bounce off each other a lot and I kind of just left them to it for the most part, occasionally popping up as a steering wheel to try and keep us on the very windy road. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, over to Jamie and Sandra. So, let's start at the start. Please, can you guys introduce yourselves, tell me who you are and what you do. I'm Jamie Liebert, a.k.a. Captain Manicorn himself. My name's Sandra, a.k.a. Ladycorn. We are currently on a uh, never-before-attempted project, full-time traveling world, attempting to be the first man and woman to do air sports in every country of the world. But that means not just so the viewers get it, that's wingsuiting, skydiving, paragliding, speed flying, and paramotoring, and base jumping mm-hmm. in every country of the world. There's 196 of them. So stay safe to say we do rad shit. And because we have ridiculous amounts of gear, we can't just throw all of this on the plane along with our three rescue dogs. We have to travel unconventionally in camper vans and, well, most recently, sailboats, which is a story in and of itself. And we travel slow travel to all the countries, spending at least one month in all of them so we can fully immerse. Stay safe to say turns into a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, yeah, we thought we'd just change our name to Traveling Shit Show, but it wasn't appropriate for TV. <laughs> you could beep it. Every time. Coming to you live tonight, 8 o'clock, prime time. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> so how is this going? How long have you been doing it? How many countries have you done? Uh, currently, we've been doing this record was born about three years ago 
actually during uh, right before COVID, it was born. I had uh, I had done four years in federal prison uh, in America. Lived in America. Started a business. Uh, was successful. Uh, made a bunch of money. Spent a lot more than I made. Uh, started a new business. Moved on, and then um, found out that I wasn't happy. So I actually left to Norway to go do extreme sports for about a month. Called Sandra. Said, "Hey, uh, I love you." But I uh, quit our business. I quit the ranch, and I'm not coming home. And if you'd like to join me, please grab our dog, grab a bag full of clothes, and come on out here. <laughs> and uh, the response was, "What are we gonna do for money?" I said, "I don't know. I have an $1,800 VW van. We'll figure this shit out." And uh, about six months later, uh, we traveled around Europe. Uh, you know, but going from having a business and a nonprofit and super successful, Santa was like, "But what? What's the point of all this?" But I'm like a kid at Disneyland. I'm like on a ride, going, "What? Why do I need a point to any of this? I'm having fun." Uh, but of course, the logic behind it is is the the world record takes us out of our comfort zone. Uh, it makes us immerse. There's been uh, roughly 190 something, 260 people total who have traveled the whole world, and they've all seemed to have been on this super fast journey. Uh, it's always you know, about like, speed. Like, it's always how about how quickly fast. can everyone yeah. visit all the countries. Yeah, and I wanted it to be longer than my sex life. So I was like, yo, let's try to slow <laughs> this down a little bit and do some mantras and breathing. Yeah, at least and 90 seconds. At least 90 seconds. And uh, so the goal was uh, like one month per country minimum. And averaging mm-hmm. right now is like two months uh, between everything because we travel by van, by motorcycle, by sailboat, by airplane through the most remote places, uh, you know, in these countries where other, like the last country we were in, no Americans even been there to paraglide. We're the only Americans they've ever seen there. So, and then we're going on top of that, we're taking a step further and paragliding it with military escorts and all of this. So by immersing ourselves in the culture, slowing down, driving, getting to know people, we're able to truly make this an adventure and, and not know the outcome. And we just literally go day to day, we have a general direction of where we want to go. We have a timeline of what we're trying to accomplish. And the only real pressure is winter, summer, mm-hmm. those extremes. You know, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere and, you know, or the Northern Hemisphere, you've got to literally make a transition across the entire world to get to better weather. Uh, and that's when all the mayhem breaks, you know, the car breaking down and visas and cops and mm-hmm. all the shit breaks Ca- and hell's crashing, you know, boats. crashing boats and, you know, all sure. this stuff happens. <laughs> you see, now, if I was taking notes, which I'm not, there's kind of a fairly frantic list of things to talk about amongst all of that. <laughs> <laughs> call it the down and dirty. We call, that our, we call that our life. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's start with one of the biggest kind of mic drops. So okay. if you're happy talking about it. What was it that led you to spend four years in federal prison? Yeah. Uh, well, for me, I loved uh, shooting uh, cocaine and meth. I'm um, obviously, you know, uh, grew up ADHD. They diagnosed me bipolar. They diagnosed me about every problem there is that you could, you know, I don't even know how I was functioning. With all the diagnosis, I don't even know how I was functioning. I should have been like wearing my clothes backwards, like, Damn, Damn, Damn. but somehow I functioned to get through school, even on the yellow bus. Uh, but by the time I got out of all that and being told that I'm fucked up for uh, 20 years of my life, I, I resorted back to drugs and abusing drugs and and having an extreme uh, mentality full of energy, ADHD. I went deep down that rabbit hole, uh, caught a bunch of warrants, uh, federal. I was wanted by the FBI for breaking, uh, robbing post offices, trafficking firearms, prostitution, um, drugs, money, counterfeit, stolen mail or possession of stolen mail. 
and they tried to get me for racketeering in this whole charge. I was like 24 years old. Um, but to like, just be honest with everybody who's listening, I was really just a tweaker. I was just doing mayhem, but it didn't look good when they wrote the report. It looked like I had been up to a bunch of bad things. And I was, let's be honest. Uh, so, um, when I was in court, I had, you know, obviously I was a good kid. I was just doing bad things. And so I had all the family members, therapists say, Hey, no, he's, you know, he was on drugs, this, that. And, uh, the judge actually, um, I had the DA, the district attorney recommended like 22 to 24 months. And, uh, the judge heard all sides of it. And during sentencing, he said, well, I don't think that two to three years will be enough for you. So I'm going to give you the max sentence of five years. And it was five years for the guns and five years for the possession of stolen mail is what the final charges were. And, uh, he said, if I ever see you again, um, you know, in front of me, I'll give you life. So I did uh, four years of that five-year sentence because it was federal time. Got in trouble a lot, obviously, as well in there. It's not like you just like like are a complete fuck up and then you go to prison and you're like, oh, I found Christ. I'm born again. Uh, no, it's like, uh, you know, you obviously <laughs> keep going until something, uh, you know, I guess it's the, they call it, in, I guess, in the drug world, they say it's like till you hit rock bottom. Um, I hit concrete bottom. I mean, if a small six by five foot cell is what you consider bottom, it's concrete, it's hard, it was shitty. Uh, that was my rock bottom. And I made a conscious decision to turn my life around and see how far I can go the other way. Long story short, countless, you know, obviously I had still had years to go in prison. So countless hours of therapy, self-growth, reading, knowledge, all of these different things. I, I was able to get out of prison and I, I, I came out with like um, a vision, a dream of what I wanted to accomplish. And I think that's what's kept me out for the last 10 years is I've just been nonstop, um, hyper-focused, if you will. I've had some ups and downs. I've had a little bit of relapses. I got back into drugs, got out of drugs, uh, you know, went sober for a couple of years. And um, finally now in a good place with all of it. It's all balanced out. And I think that's obviously great part to my partner but also, um, you know, the world record and having something that's so big, self-exploration, it allows me to explore the world and do things that most humans will never get a chance to do. And at the same time, it's also an internal journey of self-exploration. Uh, so I'm exploring the world and setting a world record that no one's ever tried. And that's awesome, but who cares? Uh, but the bigger one is like what that allows my mind is to focus on one thing. I wake up, breathe, eat, you know, poop, dream, whatever it is about just traveling an adventure, waking up, you know, jumping off mountains, wingsuiting. And uh, I'm just lucky enough to have Sandra who is like, I consider her like, I'm chaos. And she's kind of, well, you know, I, you know what? She's mayhem. Fuck it. <laughs> I'm chaos and she's mayhem. And uh, I mean, she's a woman, right? So it's obviously mayhem. And uh, so the, when the chaos meets the mayhem, somehow it, like uh, two negative magnets, it creates a neutral force. So I'm able to balance out a little bit and, you know, well put, babe. Well put. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a lot of people ask us, um, I think even the last podcast, towards the end of it, someone asked us, aren't you tired? Because after talking about everything that we've gone through currently and, and past, and said, aren't you tired? And it was a funny question because for us and our lifestyles, I mean. My instant response was, fuck no. My eyes are wide open, foot on the pedal, full speed, and, um, um, you know, hand out the well, window for, cruising. And for us, it's our, it's our comfort zone. It's our almost our survival mecha mechanisms. As Jamie kind of touched on, um, he grew, actually grew up in group homes. And I had a similar past where, you know, completely normal life until 11 when my father threatened to kill my entire family. We had to flee, actually. 
and we lived in a battered women's shelter for a few months. And that was kind of the catalyst to, after that, spending my entire teenage years in behavior modification programs because I was just so broken. I didn't know how to be a normal kid anymore. And unfortunately, my mom couldn't control me. So she had to send me away. And she said, I'm scared that if I keep you here in my home, you will die. So for my entire, most of my entire childhood and teenage years, I moved around as Jamie did as well. So for us, it's our comfort zone to keep moving. And we actually don't do well when we do not move. When we were in Texas, when, as Jamie said, we had our own business, we had a house, we had an office, and we spent a lot of times in the house and in the office. And it got to a point where we were flying out, we were organizing large festivals, and we were flying out every weekend to events, come back home, barely have enough time to take the clothes out of the bag, put them in the washer. Sometimes they didn't even make it in the washer. They just stayed in the bag before we were flying out. And I realized that it was not, it was, it was killing Jamie and it was killing us. Well, having, I was angry. I was mad all the time. Yeah. We, Jamie was, we couldn't do there. There was no mountains. We're big nature people. Um, there wasn't a lot of outdoor recreation activities we could do. And I told Jamie that, you know, I think we need to get an RV and start traveling to the events. Something needs to change. And it was that decision to do that that put us on the road full time. And that was how long ago was Ten that? Years. Ten years ago. And we never looked back. No, that was like 78. I think that was 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Full-time. And then from and then ever since then, we've been on the road. And that's that's our happy place. Because when we stop moving, that's when the demons creep in. So what? how did you guys meet? <laughs> Funny story about that. Um, we met about 12 years ago. I was actually a bartender at the time. And at the same time, I was a full-blown alcoholic getting blackout drunk almost every day. So safe to say that being an alcoholic and a bartender isn't really a good mix. But either way, I was uh, at a club. I was working one night and I was bartending and I saw a guy walk in. And I noticed he was covered from head to toe in in tattoos. I was like, wow. And I mean, I'm in a place in my life where I had just gotten my second DUI. I was about to go to jail for some time for it. So I was at a pretty low spot. And seeing this fully tattooed guy, I was like, he looks like trouble. Just what I need in my life more of. Let's, Sounds let's- like I'm a bad judge of character, to be honest. Like, the way you <laughs> tell the story, I'm starting to question my decision-making skills. Let's just be honest. Yeah, yeah, I probably should. Um, but I didn't say anything to him. And then that night, I actually saw him at a club nearby and to be honest, I don't even fully remember seeing him because, like I said, at this time, I was just I was full blown in my alcoholism. But I told him that he should come visit me at my bar when I'm bartending the next day. And lo and behold, I think two days or one or two days later, he comes strolling through the door with a bunch of his friends. Now, what I didn't know and I learned that day as I was bartending that he was actually sober because he was fresh out of prison. My mind's going like, OK, this bad boy is getting worse. Perfect. I love it. And uh, so he didn't drink at all at the time, but his friends did. So he brought them in and they were sitting in front of the bar. You know, you know, this. they were sitting on the other side of the bar, those spigots, you know, where you pour the beers. So they're just on the other side and I'm going around and I'm doing my job, serving my people. And I serve his friends. Not some very beer, good. Not but- very good. Not very good job at all. I'm be honest, <laughs> just not a good, well, I don't even really, this story is making you sound horrible. So you're not a good bartender. You were at the, one of the lowest points of your life. And I'm here thinking you're, a, you know, a, a, a catch. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a, a truck. To question I, this I had whole a truck and a, a street bike, thing. so you know, it looked like I had my stuff yeah. together, right? Um, <laughs> so apparently, I was not doing a good job, according to Jamie. 
because one of his friends had an empty beer for a little bit of a long time. Everybody at home right now, if like, A, first off, no one should have an empty beer at a bar. That's just bad <laughs> etiquette. And second, a bartender should never let a customer have an empty beer. That's like tip, like, you know I mean? Come on, there's this. I agree with you. Okay. I can I can agree. Okay. So what did Jamie do? He proceeded to grab the cup of his friend with the empty beer. He put it on the other side of the bar where I should have been, apparently. And he pushed the little spigot forward and proceeded to pour his friend's beer. My manager lost his mind. I was getting yelled at in the back. He's like, who are your friends? They're pouring their own beers. It's just super illegal. He's going on and on and on. This is California. They're sensitive creatures out there. They're a little <laughs> sensitive, if you will. And, and all I can think about is I'm like, who does that? That is fabulous. Like, Obviously, <laughs> somebody whose friends are thirsty. It's not rocket science. <laughs> it was so left field. And and so off the wall that I immediately fell in love with him because all I could think about was who does that? And even to this day, it's always a recurring joke because he's just still off the wall, hasn't really changed in that respect. And I'm always thinking, who does that? <laughs> Dude, I've been playing this game lately. Like I have a checkboard of like uh, how many times I get told no. So I've been coming up off the wall. Like I'll just walk in. Like I used to everywhere. Like part of living on the road and traveling is being thrifty with money. I'm not rich. We're, we're quite poor, but we're wealthy with you know, adventure. So I'll always ask, like, I don't care where I go, gas stations, I ask for a discount. I'm like, do you have a discount? You know, like, and I usually get like 10 to 15% off on everything. It's just crazy. Like I just, I, I ask everywhere we go. Uh, so lately I've just been asking, so like, how do you feel um, about, you know, doing a collaboration? We're influencers. And I feel so horrible saying, I don't, I don't want to say gay, but I feel, oh, I hate influencers. I hate that whole thing, but it's we have very a, cringy. it's so cringy, but I'm like, oh, well, so I have a scoreboard, like how, how many times, so we go to like a rock climbing gym. I'm like, Hey, we are doing this world travel. We have a, a good large following. Would you like my vault? My octave goes up. Would you like to uh, trade some? <laughs> Here's this big tattooed guy. He jumps off cliffs and all this. And he's, and he's like, you know, his voice is cracking when he's asking for some free getting, stuff. Getting better at it though. I'm getting better at it though. No, but that's life, life, right? Like there's the, I feel like there's a wavelength there and people want to help us naturally set this record and they're excited about it. And if you just ask people, most people are just like us, everyday average people. And they understand like, hey, we're not rich. We're trying to do this rad project. Can you help? And in return, we'll do this. And people are like, yeah, I don't see why not. Let's do that. So it's kind of a really cool thing. And, and it's like, almost eliminates the money aspect of it because I don't care about money. So it's like a barter system. So all of a sudden you're engaging with human beings again. You're not, and I don't use social networks. I don't go on Instagram. I don't go on Facebook. We have all of those networks. Sandra does all of the posting. I do the stories, but I don't go on and look at any of it because I don't, I don't care. Right. But, uh, I, cause, and I used to, I was addicted to it and I wanted to wake up and see how many people liked my post and liked mine. Mm -hmm. And I, and I felt good if they liked it. And then if they didn't like it, I was like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill myself. Nobody liked my Instagram. I spent like hours making this post. It's got 12 likes. I must be a bad person. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Look what we're coming to. So now I put all of that away. Now I gotta be, I gotta, I gotta go outside and like play in the sandboxes again. Like I'm out there like building tree houses and running up and down mountains and like life is better. So now I'm coming up with these creative ways to entertain myself. Like, you know, I don't know. So best thing I ever did was get off social networks and it allowed me to come be creative and challenge myself uh, to, to doing all these weird things that put me in an awkward situation. Yeah, but you like awkward. I do like awkward. I feel comfortable there. <laughs> but again, do, do you, you ever know, like walk? <laughs> that, well, there's there's a lot to unpack it. Say again. <laughs> do you ever like walk into like a, a restaurant, like you know places like you just like I always have a friend like, uh, and we're just we're good mates, right? So we we'll walk in. I'll be like, all right, so you're gonna say something completely obscene, like that's just ridiculous. 
And the goal is not to like whoever laughs first has to drop down and do 20 push-ups. So you'll just walk in and be like, hey, mate, are you are you are you really like, you know, are you gonna jump off that that mountain and like just we'll say some stupid shit that like is really relevant? But people like normal people that don't do our stuff will be like, look at us, and you can't laugh. And I never lose this game, like, because I'm just cringy worthy. I'll just I'll keep going with it, right? But everybody always loses because I'll just I'll start going deeper and deeper with it, and then people I can't handle it. <laughs> so I don't know. That's where I'm at. I don't know if that it's just one on a five minute rant about random shit, but that's my life right now, guys. Random <laughs> shit. But I'm fascinated as to how we got here, right? Like that's the most interesting thing for me. I'm being serious. It is. So well, no, I mean, because no, if you if you don't know lots about you guys, which I don't, and that's very deliberate for me, like. I like to come into these conversations not knowing much. So there's prison. So hang on, you're sat on the right. You're in prison, you get out of prison. You go to a bar and you don't want a beer. And then you meet Sandra and then you... Well, I was an an MMA fighter. So when I had got out of prison, and before that I was a boxer. So when I got out of prison, I fought MMA. Uh, so basically famous Dave's was the name of the restaurant and they had a really good lunch. Like it was like back then it was like 10 cent wings. Right. So I'm kind of broke. Right. I'm just out of prison. So I'm training for like six hours a day. So what do you do? You go to like, you know, this barbecue place and I can spend like five bucks. and I could have got like 20, you know, 50, 50, um, 50 wings, you know, I'd smash them. So that was like my routine. Like I would go, I was supposed to be in, um, like what, what are you in? Like a continue, like, what is it? Like, a I don't know. I don't remember the names of this shit, but you were like, basically, um, you got out and you had to be in a house for six months. And it was like, um, yeah, yeah. Like parole, a bunch of other inmates. Like it was a horrible place. Right. But I had lied about a job and my uncle had covered my back and said that I was working for him. But reality was I was going to MMA all day. Uh, and it was always awkward to explain like cuts on my face and like all this, but I did it, whatever. So basically like during lunch, I would go eat at famous days cause I could, you know, I could get a, a ton of chicken and meat. And that's how I ended up, she ended up, so that's how it all came, came about. Um, I fought for like another two more years. Um, and then obviously then we got into air sports, but that was kind of how we met and really, but to, like, we never really tell this part of the story. So I had a good job with my uncle. He does, um, like neurosurgery and, uh, spinal surgery. He's the guy, like he's a, a rep and he does all, supplies all the instruments for those surgeries to the doctors. So I could have had this like cushy job and I could have been around that environment, but I, I hated it. Right. And so I would always like work on my own things. I started this company called Moral Free. And it was like, basically, it could be taken any way you want. Morals are ethics. Ethics are created by religion. Religion, uh, you know, is created by man. Therefore, man created rules. And I refused to live by another man's laws. You know, I live by my own ethics. So it was Moral Free. And our job was to go around to festivals and sporting extreme, ex- extreme sporting events like motocross, X Games, all of these different things. And I was part of that community in that world anyway. So I would go... Uh, to these and interview the other athletes that were competing and I had great interviews and it was because I was one of them, right? So I could ask the questions. I wasn't just some dude from, I had no idea what they were working on, the sacrifice that they put into this. So what eventually happened was I, 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 I would interview hundreds of these rock stars and I was like, I do way cooler shit than these dudes. I'm tired of interviewing everybody. Like I, I have a cool story to tell. And so we transitioned uh, to the goal was to create Captain Manicorn to, to show an adventure, but it wasn't so easy because there was this money issue and I didn't have the ability, the knowledge to storytell. So I got fortunate when we started these, like it went from moral free throwing events to 
being invited to do uh, as an event director for this uh, Mud Factor. One of the guys, Scott Davis, he was the owner of a motocross track, Hangtown in Sacramento. And he wanted to start a new mud run. And I had been to like a hundred mud runs and we were the only media company back then doing articles about, I was running like a new, like two 5Ks a week back when they were like just coming out. And it wasn't, it wasn't even cool yet to do them. Uh, so one day some shit blew up at his event. So like one of the obstacles fell and like I diffused the situation. I was like, hold on. I was like, you know, like, and, like he was like, oh God, like, like you know, lawsuits, this, that, and all this. But I was like, yo, slow it down. That was a cool experience. And like, I flipped the script and the chick was stoked at the end. Right. And so I got a call like a week later. He was like, man, how would you like to come be the event director for my run? And I was like, well, I want to do my own thing. I'm like, I want my own business. Like I'm working my ass off to create my own thing. He's like, I'll tell you what, you give me one year, work your ass off. I'll make you as the director and I'll teach you everything you need to know to how to start a business. So we had like this super transparent relationship in the beginning and there wasn't like I had ulterior motives. So he wasn't stressed about it. Uh, and, and, and I, and I, I really learned how to become a manager. I learned how to work with people to be a boss, to be, you know, to, to money. He taught me how to make, you know, to save money is to make money. So I would hustle porter potties, hustle everything. Like I would, my job was to like, you know, get all those things for the events. So he taught me how to run a business. And then at the end of the, that term, uh, we started our own event called color fun fest and it blew up and it was way too much, way too fast for us. Um, what's the analogy? We always say that it was, um, it was like having a fire hose and both of us were like a fire hose and like, you know, like a hands on it, just holding it, holding it, holding it. And then we started this business. I mean, nobody taught us about, we didn't learn no about money management. We didn't know how to run a business. And all of a sudden this hand was just taken off the fire hose and, uh, things just went crazy. Yeah. We made like $3.7 million in like eight months. That will fuck anybody up. I don't care who you are, right? especially if you're spend? not in a good place with your head, right? Like I, I so obviously got back into drugs, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and went rowdy for maybe four or five years. Mm-hmm. I traveled the world just living like a true rock star. Uh, but I was miserable, man. We used uh, to, even though we had, I mean, I, I remember too, like going to grocery stores and not even having to look at the prices, <laughs> you know, and like not, and, and being in a state where it didn't matter. Right. But so I was like, I should be so stoked. But I was waking up every day with like this chest pain. And I thought like maybe I have like a heart murmur or maybe there's something wrong with me. And then eventually figured out that it was just anxiety from everything happening. And Jamie was so this was back to that in that office. He was so unhappy. He was gaining weight. We were getting he was getting angry. We were getting fights. It was like one of the you know, when, when you're supposed to be at the top of your game and everything's going great, we were like at the lowest. Yeah. But like to give an example, like when you make enough money, you don't really count or like think about it anymore. So when I would ask for money, I wouldn't say like, Hey, give me a grand for the weekend to go. Cause I was skydiving, you know, you know, I was all over the place traveling the world. I would just like say, hand me that much, like hand me that much. And I would use my fingers to show the measurement of how many hundred stacks of hundreds I wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, that's where we were at with it. I was like, I, you know, give me this much for the weekend. And it'd be like three inches and I'd the like running, five running. grand and I just go blow it on a, on a, you know, on a party for the weekend. Mm-hmm. I think the, the running joke was a big cash, cash basis event because we had uh, 50, 100, 150 people working every weekend or we getting paid cash. So there was always just lots of cash moving in, um, every weekend. And since we were traveling in an RV, we kept a big ca- bag of cash in the washing machine in our RV. And we always joke that it was money laundering. <laughs> 
Actually, my mom came up with that. As I, need to inter- <laughs> uh, I need to, I need to, at this point in the story, I need to. All stories may or may, or may not, not be, be true. true due to <laughs> statute of limitations that this is, um, we are storytellers and I need to, this is, um, may or may not be true. Yeah, we're having you know fun with fiction right now. Listening. Yeah, fiction. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fiction's fun. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was like the, the foundation before, like when I said I had went to Norway, um, you know, like we had a 40 acre ranch on the top of a mountain in San Diego. Uh, but I like, you know, I, that wasn't what I signed up for. I never wanted to be an event director. I never wanted to throw events. It was my dream was to like adventure, you know, to wingsuit, to, to hike mountains and explore and be in nature. So, you know, there it was a, really hard to yeah. be able to take off some time. And then in between the events, you know, you don't do events in the, in the winter because it's too cold. So then, you know, that's when you do the trip. So you work really, really, really hard for this little vacation time, which I think everyone out there who's listening can relate. But all you want to do when you go back to work is just go back to that time off. So Jamie had gone to Norway and I was finishing up the books for the season for the events, kind of gearing up for the, the next year. By this point, we had started a new run called the Inflatable Run and Festival and I, when the it's oh it was a rough one. It had tanked the first year. We were down. Like second eighty grand. Year, we, we were down like eighty grand the first year. Yeah, it was it was rough. And then the second year, we invested up. everything, sold our RV, sold everything, like cashed in stocks. Like mm-hmm. I was all in on this new festival because we had made so much and everything went so well with the first one. We went like doubled down on the second event, and you know, and then uh, man, it just crashed. Yeah, didn't didn't plan accordingly. So by the time the second year was finished, we had we had broken even. We had paid off the credit cards that we were we were set to make money in the third year. So that's when Jamie had went to Norway for a month to do some extreme sports, and I would do the. Books. I go by myself. It doesn't make sense. I go every year. I go on a four to six week trip without Sandra. Because at that time, uh, it's just different. Like when I'm wingsuiting and base jumping and she doesn't do these different things, it puts me in a bad headspace seeing her worried and like down there like, oh, God, is he going to die and all this different stuff. So I take off every year, walkabout, if you will, uh, you know, six weeks, whatever, to to figure out who I am. I think I, if, I'm a, if I know these things about myself, I'm obviously a better human being when I come back and give her what she truly deserves, you know, which is the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. So... That was uh, the phone call. And I said, hey, you know, pack a bag. I'm not coming home. And we still haven't been home. It's been four years. So we still have a ranch, all the festival <laughs> stuff, all the trucks, everything. Mm-hmm. All you just know, sitting there. We easily. see it on Google yeah. Maps. You know, yeah. we check every once in a while. Like, okay, like the car's still there. It hasn't been stolen. Yeah, it's like a half million dollars worth of production. Like we had our own, co- like all of our own trucks, our own production equipment. And we're over here like struggling in credit card debt in Europe because I refuse to go back. Because it going back and even selling that stuff, categorizing that stuff, working on those different things would take me one step further away from what my goal is. So I literally, because of the group homes, because of prison, because of the all these different things, my biggest gift was being able to hit this reset button in life and walk away. What color is the reset button? Red. I fucking love red buttons. Push them every chance you get. I push them. Uh, so... Uh, so that, that, you know, so it's like this weird thing, like, cause you know, our, you know, it's our, you know, we're very funded by, you know, our sponsors, by patrons, and we're obviously in debt and we're trying to work through this and we don't know where next month's built money is going to come from. But I came up with this theory in my head. I told Sandra, listen, I would rather be broke and do what I want every day for the rest of my life, just surviving to pay the bills than be rich again, not having the time to follow my dreams. So that's where we're at, man. So we're just literally just coasting bot, not coasting, man. That's fucking hard work. Let's be honest. We work really hard. I get up at five in the morning and go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, you know, working our ass off seven days a week, no vacations. What am I going to do on vacation, right? Like 
going to go do what I'm doing. So it's, is it exhausting? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you're exhausted. I'm not. <laughs> you're like the energizer bunny. Yeah. Well, but it's a good kind of exhausting. It's a lot more, a lot more fulfilling. I would rather be exactly what you said. I would rather be tired doing what we're doing than tired from a job that I didn't enjoy doing that wasn't fulfilling my purpose in life. That's the word, right? Like I can totally relate to that last bit you're saying. And, you know, this is not a loaded question, but how much do you think that actually what you guys need is struggling? You know, you need to kind of suffer and quest and strive rather than just being wealthy and having everything in inverted commas. I think it's a big part of what we do. And I think it's relatable because I think if we were wealthy, you know, I wouldn't have the appreciation. If I didn't go to prison, if I didn't overcome addiction, if I didn't grow up in group homes, if I wasn't covered in tattoos, if I, you know, was, was, you know, like I'm not a Red Bull athlete. Uh, you know, I'm not like this clean cut, able to you articulate my words in this way that gets me into the the door with, uh, you know, champagne bottles being popped over. It's rough for us. It's hard. You know, I'm, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get funding from corporations and I'm completely tatted back with a, pri- and we, we promote the prison because we want kids and other people to see at the end of the day that overcoming adversity, I don't care if you're black, white, Chinese, I don't care if you got broken legs or no legs, I don't care what it is. Everybody is, has their own level of adversity. And that's what we all have to understand. We're all overcoming shit. But the question, it's not about, you know, what we're overcoming. It's how you overcome it. The attitude in which you overcome that adversity is who you are. That's who you are as a human being. So we're trying to show people I'm for myself. I don't know what Sandra's doing, but for myself, I'm trying to show people that no matter how deep the shit gets, you can still put a smile on your face because if you're truly living the life you want and the adventure you want, then you shouldn't bitch about what happens next because you are the reason that happened. You uh, took the actions that led that reaction. Now you, you have to deal with it and you should be able to smile and go, this is fucked up, but <laughs> it's going to make a hell of a story tomorrow. So let's get through this with smiles. Let's survive. Let's live. Let's enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's overcoming adversity. That's a known adventure, right? That's what we signed up for. And I think that it's absolutely instrumental to not have things that creates happiness. So I guess, let me, the best way I can explain it maybe is my, a recent analogy that we spent uh, three years in the Bal- um, Balkan region, Greece, Albania, uh, Montenegro, Montenegro, Kosovo, all, uh, and, Mars- and Macedonia. And then we went to Turkey. Yeah. And for three years, there was no grass, no grass fields. I think we saw like one grass field somewhere in Crete. in Crete and we were like, oh my God, there's grass, no grass. And all of a sudden, uh, it was about the beginning of the year, we came back to Europe because we headed to a sailboat that we had had bought. Um, we, we were going to transition to sailing for a little while with no sailing experience, but we'll get into that later. And as we're driving across, all of a sudden, I'm seeing grass. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And the dogs just rolling in it. Like two of them we had rescued. You were rolling in it. I was rolling. We were all just kissing the ground. And, um, you know, the two of the dogs that we rescued, they're from the ball, uh, you know, Turkey and Albania. So they had never seen big grass fields. And to this day, this was, we got, I think it was April that we came back towards, you know, (laughs) grassy regions. When I see grass now, it makes me so happy still. Because I went years without experiencing a grass field. Now, when I see something as simple as grass, it brings me so much happiness. And when I try to explain it to people, 
I sound like a crazy grass lady. You sound pretty crazy right now. I'm gonna Dude, be honest. I love I'm listening grass. to you say this. But but so <sighs> by by uh, by depriving myself unintentionally or intentionally of something and then introducing it back into my life, it now creates so much happiness, yeah, such as hot showers, right? Take it a step further though. We've learned that we can control our own happiness by depriving ourselves of different things to bring it back to your original question of suffering mm-hmm. on a sailboat. Uh, if you don't have the ability to you you know to drive very often, you don't have the ability to go to good grocery stores, you don't have these different things, or you're seasick all the time. Mm-hmm. When you deprive yourself of things yourself, and then you have an you know a newfound appreciation, all of a sudden we couldn't afford to eat meat in Norway. It's so expensive. One chicken breast, five dollars, five right. euros. So Crazy. when you deprive, so Sandra actually had the idea when she goes, so wait, you can control your own happiness if you are unhappy. Just take away something suffer for a while without it <laughs> and then use it as a reward to, to find happiness again. So it's me or so, yes. So to answer your question, Matt, back to it. So it was through suffering of prison, through the suffering of addiction, losing, group homes, losing our, freedom. losing our freedom, you know, all these different things. We have built a new appreciation. And and I tell people like I've seen animals, you know, I was in a, a, a pretty bad place with prison. Uh, so I've seen what humans do to other human beings as caged animals so when I'm having a bad day on the the real world, I tell people, uh, you know, your problems are nothing. No one's trying to stab you today. No one's trying to <laughs> rape you today. The guards aren't beating your skull, you know, with with a, you know, against the concrete wall. No one's trying to steal your lunch money. You know, no one's trying to, you know, take away your freedom for the rest of your life. And and, and people out here in our our minds somehow we've got whether it's marriage or children or medical bills or whatever it is, we've like put these things on a pedestal as there are these huge problems. But they're not because as long as you have your freedom, everything else is just a gift. And that's what I personally think humans have forgot to get in touch with. Like just waking up is awesome. Like if you open your eyes, the rest of the day is rad. Like you've over, you know, like you woke up, you've got 24 hours to, to be whoever you want. You can literally go to bed, this person, and you can say that sucked or I didn't like that about myself. And when you wake up in the morning, you can spend the first 10 minutes and say, you know what? This is what I would like to do today. This is who I would like to become. And you can spend the next 23 hours and 50 minutes of the day trying to accomplish that. And you might reach part of it. You might fail. But guess what? When you wake up the next day, you can say, you know what? I would like to accomplish this today. I don't feel like we do that as humans anymore. It's so social media. And what is that? Like keeping up with the Jones, you got to get this new, it's got to be blah, blah, blah. I got to have money. And like, we've like idolize these people like the Kardashians and shit who beautiful asses. I'm not going to deny it, but who gives a shit what the Kardashians are doing, right? They're, they're, they're in a fucking fish in a fish tank. Who cares what they're doing? Get out there and get outside with nature. It's the bit you know, like sunrise. You got sunsets, you got lakes and you got mountains and you got these things that the universe has provided for us uh, to, 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 to have this, you know, exploration. And we just waste it. We're just wasting it, you know, working this job you fucking hate. You don't like your wife, your, your kids or whatever, all these different things. So leave. They quit the job. I, I don't know what to tell you guys. It's literally that simple. If you don't like what you're doing when you go to bed tonight, say that to yourself. I don't like who I am. I don't like this life. In the morning, wake up, choose who you want to be. I have this, this thing, I, I call it like the five steps to success mm. that I live by. This is only for me. I, I don't coach. I don't do that self-help shit. This is my rules of, of life step one 
I research what I want. You know, I think that most people don't take the time to research their dreams. What is it that you want? What is it that inspires you? What is it that you are passionate about? So the very first thing for me is research. I research. So for me, it was to be a professional athlete, to, to wingsuit, whatever, to travel the world and explore, right? The second thing you have to do is make a commitment. You can't just wish it and want it. You have to commit to it. You have to literally devote your entire life, your existence, your breathing, your sleeping, everything you have, your finances, your money. That's a commitment. That's a true commitment when you commit your entire existence to something. So step two is commitment. Step three is make a plan. I don't care who you are. Even Moses had a plan, right? Like even he had 10 commandments that he was going to follow to get to heaven. All right, look, okay, reality. Yeah, guys. So you got to make a plan, okay? So step three is you have to make a plan. You need a plan. Trust me, how to get to A to B. Nobody goes from A to D. There's too much going on right there, put right? Put the plan somewhere you can yeah. see it. Put the plan somewhere you can see it on a wall, glue it to your forehead, tattoo it on you. I, like literally, like how important is this to you, right? Because you need to make a commitment. And if you don't have a plan, I'm saying you're full of shit. Step four is you have to execute this and you have to do it uh, devotion. Like, you know, like a monks, like those guys, like they devote their lives to it. Eat, sleep, drink, devotion to this commitment that you made, right? And the reason why we have to to, to make this like uh, execution is because you need to see the trend because life is a trend, right? Some days are up, some days are down. Sometimes you were successful, sometimes you failed, but only time will set a trend. So say, you know, like you're working towards this goal, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. If you do this every day, eventually there's this trend. What worked, what didn't work, what worked, what didn't work, right? So you can start making adjustments to this, to this, you know, to this plan that you have to be able to reach your goal. Now, let's say that you do steps one, two, three, four, you get to the Z, you reach the goal, hallelujah, you know, you know what I mean, like all like doves and flowers and whatever your fantasy is, it's a dream, it comes to reality, okay? Most important, step five. Yeah, so step four was where I found myself like always, I was like, you know, achieving these, I was like achieving these, and, and I think a lot of people that do, you become a lawyer, a doctor, you have kids, you... You have this super job, you have this big house, you have, have this car, event. you have Ferraris, you have successful events. And I was like, but that's the fucking trap, right? That's the trap. So I came up with this new one. It's called step five. It's called the reset button. It's red too? It's red, right? <laughs> Self-awareness. Yeah. If you don't like your current situation and it wasn't what you thought it was going to be and it didn't create the internal feeling that you were hoping for, then be aware and hit that fucking button and reset and go back to step one, figure out what it is you want to do. <laughs> That's literally how I live my life. And, and I'm just I, with Captain Manicorn traveling the world, the world record. Uh, we, we you know found out what I want to do. I want to travel. I want to adventure. I want to fly off and do magical stuff. Step two, we made a commitment to it. Obviously, we're living that commitment. Step three, we made a plan. And we're following through with that plan. And we've got three years under our belt, creating a trend through sponsorship, how we're going to, you know, finance all these different things. And I'm on my way to that goal. But it's, you know, I'm aware of it right now. It's a 15-year project, right? So I'm hoping in 15 years, if I don't like it, I'll hit the reset button, you know? But we'll talk about that in, in 12 more years or 11 more years. I don't know. That's, guys, I went on a huge rant there. But that's, like, what's going on in my mind all day, like, sun up to sun. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Down. But I think that it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm not a specialist or an expert, but it sounds like you have assigned like personal narrative and flavor onto a pretty like solid system of you know process-based decision making centered around what you want to achieve and if it isn't working or if you're not enjoying it change it and I think but I'm fascinated you know I'm really privileged because I get to interview and speak to lots of different people from different walks of life some are like wealthy silver spoon adventurers who've never wanted for anything and they've sought out adventure because they needed something to be difficult in their lives Mm-hmm. And people at the other end of the spectrum. But I, I don't know my how to phrase the question, but like, I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, but to what extent has it been easier for you to transition into doing the things you want to do because things have been so shitty in the past? Because I sometimes wonder, do people like get trapped? Because they've never been shitty. You're, you're, you're tripping. You're, no, like I get where you're going with the question, but they've never been shitty. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, man. The fact that I had the, you know, um, th- those were adventures in themselves. You look back on it and those were fucking stories addicted to meth, shooting meth, hookers, pro- like drugs, prostitution, Vegas, running drugs, prison. Like those were adventures. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking back on my life. I'm 40 years old. And I can tell you the last 40 years were one hell of a ride. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, maybe those people that are wealthy or whatever, like you were saying, the silver spoon, they might never experience that, right? Because they have lawyer money and they have big boy money and what they, I, you know, they probably would have been robbing post offices or counterfeiting money or, or these different things, right? So I love it, man. No, I look back, I feel grateful that I had the childhood that I have. I, I, I'm glad I'm, I'm, you know, like, obviously it damaged me. There's, there's PTSD from prison. There's, you know, group homes, there's neglect, there's mommy issues, there's all these different things. But man, thank God for those because I have things to overcome. I have battles that I get to, you know, I'm I'm not at work like most people. I'm I'm driving a van or sailing a boat or hiking through the mountains. I'm so fortunate to have so many fucked up things happen to me that I am never bored or thoughtless. <laughs> I get to continually try to figure out how to put myself back together and put myself back together in a way that makes myself happy and makes me a better person for Sandra and for my dogs. So no, like I, I'm, dude, it's the other way around completely. I'm so lucky to be fucked up. <laughs> and we probably what makes us, <laughs> what what honestly brings us the most joy and, and most fulfilling is when people who have gone through or are currently going through similar situations reach out and they say, if, if I've been watching you guys and the fact that you guys can do it, I think I can do it now is to us. Like what we, that's literally what we consider a win. It doesn't matter what we're doing. If there's other people out there that are inspired and not just inspired like, oh, that's cool and get back to what they're doing, but uh, action inspired where they're making actions in their life and taking steps to get their life more in in pursuit of their dreams, then for us, that's a win, right? That's the, 
check that off. And that wouldn't that wouldn't why, be possible. Why, why would that matter? Here's a good challenge for you. But why does that matter if if other people change their life? How does that bring you happiness? Why would that be important? Because at the end of the day, I think that the purpose of life is to do what makes you happy while leaving the world a better place than you found it. I think that if you're not doing those two things, if you're doing one thing, what makes you happy, it's great. But there's always that feeling, at least for me, there's always that feeling of unfulfillment in it. If I'm just doing what makes me happy. But if I'm making the world a better place, and it, but I'm not doing what makes me happy, which is, for example, when we, you know, we have a nonprofit in the U.S., so when we're, we, we were able to do good, great things, we weren't able to do, to do what was making us happy at the same time and traveling. It wasn't incorporated into our nonprofit at the time. Then it wasn't fulfilling either. You have to have those two pieces of the puzzle to really make it uh, fit together. I say you have, to, you have to give for everything you take. It's got to be a, it's a scale, yeah? So if I take, if I break laws, I, I'm still kind of a bad boy, yeah. So a if pirate. I pirate day, so I, you know, but I always had to keep the scales even. So that's why we have like a feed a stray a day where we travel around with you know pounds and pounds of dog food, feeding stray animals or adopting. That's how we have three dogs, right? And finding homes for animals. So it's like for everything you take, you give back. So there's like karma, right? I guess it's all any all religions, all cultures, all whatever human humans have this scale, and sometimes. I noticed that the happiest people are the people that spend their, you know, life giving, right? Because then you're not looking for something in return. And it's like, you know, when you give a present to somebody without expectations of something in return, that's, that's a win, right? When you see someone else truly happy and you, that them being happy makes you happy. That's what I consider love, to be honest. Like when I think of Sandra, like I'm happy when she's happiest. If she's not happy, then I'm not happy, right? So that's what I consider that, that, that scale, if you will. It's like when we were working with foster kids like me, uh, I, they loved me because I, I was no bullshit. Yeah. Like they would try to pocket pills or whatever. And I'd be like, look, homie, you're full of shit. I know what you're doing. You're hustling. Ain't going to fly with me. Cause I know what your little mind's thinking. Cause I did that same exact shit as you. So, and they'd be like, Oh fuck. I'm like, yeah. So why don't you just stop pretending? I know your life's fucked up. I'm going to tell you something really important right now. And that's what I tell kids, right? Like, I don't care if they're raped. I don't care if they're like molested. I don't care what happened to these children. I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you guys the most important lesson you will ever learn. And I would have a group of them, right? And they'd all be like ears. I'm going to tell tell you guys this right now. Nobody gives a fuck. Not one other person in the world gives a fuck what happened to you. If you want your freedom, you're going to have to take it. And these kids like light bulbs would pop and they'd be like, and and you're giving the same thing that happened to me in prison through therapy was what I'm trying to give them accountability. Yeah. You are accountable. These kids, I'm I'm giving them, I'm saying, I'm sorry. It's, I'm not saying that it's not shitty guys. I'm just saying that nobody cares. And that when you get into the real world, when you turn 17 and the system 18 and the system kicks you out with nothing but a trash bag and you're back on the streets and you're trying to cry this, whoa, me, nobody cares. And you're going to have to earn. And most people go back to drugs or stealing or whatever it is, right? Because they they want to blame the system and all of this. So I tell them, I said, nobody gives a shit. So if you want your freedom, you're going to take it back. And that starts with your accountability. If you want something, if you want to finish high school, you want to get your driver's license, you want that, that, that perfect girl that you're in love with, whatever, then you have to be accountable. You have to take the steps to, to take your, your life back. And I said, how can you guys even pretend that you know the game when you don't know the rules? You don't know what's going to happen to you at 18. You don't know how to balance a checkbook. You don't know what the IRS is going to do. You don't know about running a business. You don't know about stocks, futures. You don't know about none of this stuff. And you don't understand how they're trying to keep you stupid and control you, right? And I said, so I would teach these kids, right? These foster kids. I said, let me show you what the system's really doing. 
and I was trying to just spark something. I didn't know if it would work or not, but I was just trying to show them this is what's really happening. You can keep living in your fantasy or it's like Matrix, yeah? Take the pill, open your eyes, and see what's really going on. <laughs> and it would, man. I still talk to a lot of these kids and they've like figured out like what the system was and they figured out how they could apply for this and get grants for this and college would help for this. And they'd be like, dude, I never thought these things. Like, yeah, it's there. It's written out the rules of what you can do. You guys just have to get the get a hold of that book. I can't do that for you. Ask the right questions. Go back, challenge everything. You know what I mean? Like challenge everything. Why are they doing this to me? What is the point of it? Who, who prospers from this? Who benefits from this? Why would they want this to happen? And when the kids and when people start doing that as human beings, we, we start to like come out of this like shell and we start learning and we start saying, oh, I don't like the way that makes me feel. I'm going to do something different. I don't know. Another, another rant, but that's <laughs> in the mind of me. I like the rest. It's real though, right? Like there's some real shit happening in our society with like, like I hate the foster system and, and it's fucked up because there's like 280,000 kids coming out of foster care per year right now, right? And, and there's no systems put in place for them. When a kid turns 18, I don't know how it is in the UK, but in America, when a kid turns, the day he turns 18, he's kicked out of the system and literally they give you a black trash bag Right. And, and, and they tell you you have to leave and they and you go to like a train. That's where transition. It was like transition housing. So when I went to prison uh, to a transitional living, these kids do the same thing. But they they literally go from sh uh, like, you know, having a home foster care into uh, like homelessness and going to shelters and stuff like this. Right. And that entire time, that kid wasn't like getting an education. He was battling demons, whether at home abuse or at the bullied and like all of this different stuff. So I don't know. I can go on about how the. The point of the story is, is that the real world is a messed up place. And somewhere along the lines, I found freedom in the outdoors, in nature and adventures. Because the only thing that matters is, is the beauty that's in front of you. And all that shit can get left behind to the politicians and laws and governments for them to battle over. And you can go out and be free in nature. That's, that's what I'm getting at through mm -hmm. my crazy rant. But I'm guessing you weren't exposed to that as a kid, right? Nature, the wonders of it. Uh, I did. I was pretty fortunate. So I had my dad at four years old, got me a dirt bike. So I had a good 11 years. I was the only child. I moved around between, um, like a, a Jewish family and a Catholic family. They're both pretty, you know, the Catholic, they're pretty, pretty good families. Somewhere along the line, my mom started having, uh, I had a brother and my other uncles that were spoiling me for those 11 years. Everybody else started having kids and I started acting out because I wasn't getting attention anymore. And then uh, abuse and you know problems at home, alcoholism, mothers and all this stuff turned into grandparents taking me. And then obviously I was way too rowdy for my grandparents. And you know, so then it was grandparents put me in group homes. So I had a really again, like I'm trying to tell you in the beginning, I had a really unique childhood. Like I wasn't I wasn't molested or like you know beaten or hurt like that. I was I was beaten. But all kids, all kids with good personalities are right. So. Um, that was, you know, it was. <laughs> but didn't they introduce you to rock climbing, right? That's what no, kind of sparked. That was seventeen. I was in this thing called. I had got out of a group home, and it was called Venture Crew. It was like Boy Scouts, but it's like an older version of that. It's called Venture Crew, and uh, before this, it was drugs, you know, and all this in high school and whatever. Uh, and then I found like someone took me rock climbing for the first time when I was seventeen, and it was like there was no climbing gyms. It wasn't a cool thing to do yet. It was like you know, like you would put like shoes on and climb, you know, uh, climb. And it like something sparked. It was like this switch that like tripped because like it didn't matter if I was fighting with my mom or whatever was happening or if I was in trouble with the law. When I would like put my hands on the wall, like everything else was gone. 
And that's kind of what I still do 40, you know, 22 years later, I'm still wingsuiting or paragliding mm -hmm. or speed flying uh, because I need that time to reset because it's the only, like, even though everybody else thinks it's like adrenaline junkies and craziness, it's, it's really just quiet time. It's like the, the room's quiet and you can figure out who you are. And so that reset button, every time you go on a base jump or skydive or paraglide, I hit that reset button and say, it doesn't matter how yesterday was or whatever's going on or Sandra and I are fighting or whatever's happening. This could be the last time I see her. This could be the last time I, you know, do anything. So I need to come to peace with what's going on in the world. And I do on daily, right? So I come to peace with everything. I make, you know, I love you. Let's not ever go to bed angry. And then, you know, you go on this beautiful flight. And when you land, you know, you're, you're rejuvenated. It's like a, it's like a fuel, like life is like draining you, all these bills and all this bullshit mm -hmm. drains you. And then I go on one good adventure. I'm like, beep, 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 beep. You know, that's, that's life. <laughs> so what is your lifestyle like now as a couple? What do you mean? What do you do? I know you jump off things, but what do you actually do with your time? What's it like? I would say that right now our life is just, I mean, pure adventure, really. I mean. Break it down for me, though. So, like, between, I wake up at 5. So, from 5 to, like, 5.30 is coffee until 9 o'clock is uh, working on the company, on the business, right? Aspect mm -hmm. of what we do. At 9 o'clock, I go work out for two hours, hauling 50-pound bags of sand, running through the mountains with the dogs, training for my trip to Pakistan in, in, in a week from now. Uh, and then, you know, we get back from that. We have breakfast from there. Uh, breakfast, we usually travel. That's we consider that adventure time or travel time. Mm -hmm. until so the, either go, we're either already at an adventure spot. Maybe we go, go flying or we're at a cliff or we're somewhere. Or we're using it to move to the next adventure. Right. And traveling during the day. Right. So then five o'clock is, you know, dinner time, wrap it up, cook, try to have a good meal every day together, sit down. Um, and most of the time, if if I'm doing an adventure, then Sandra's working all day, honestly, on a computer. And then after that, I start to wind down. I'll start writing or journaling or or you know, doing the creative aspect of what the business and all we're doing. And Sandra's pounding away on a keyboard. So we're either full adventure, training for an adventure. Or working to secure funding uh, for the next adventure. <laughs> that's it. Literally, like that's our entire day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. If I'm not adventuring, I'm trying to figure out how to get money for the next adventure. <laughs> that's real, right? Yeah. And so, what, if anything, and I, I, you know, I sense you guys have kind of got stuff pretty dialed in these days and you've thought about this all a lot, but <laughs> what do you miss from the old life? Miss? Miss. A hard question. What do you What do you mean by old life? Give me what do you, in your mind. What do you What are you uh, referring to as so old life? Pre Pre full time traveling world record project. Mm. Maybe my family. I wish that you know. I mean, I obviously had to sacrifice my family and all my friends for this. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't. I won't go back to America. Yeah, it's definitely um, put a bit of a strain on family. Some of our family members actually won't even talk to us. Yeah, we're in bad places with some of our family members. They're not stoked. My mom's obviously, they're really big fans, but I was my dad's best friend. We talk every day. I would go see my family every day, you know, every, every time we could. You know, we worked together. We lived together. I think there's a bit of resentment on their end. I feel like maybe I abandoned them. I just left. I refused to come back to America. Um, so that's something maybe I miss is having the familiarity like when I'm am having bad or I need to be comforted or I need to be like, you know, like that external love factor that I could just go to my family and be around my brothers and everybody. And it was, you know, your, your home, right? Like that sense of home. I have to figure out where my home is every day on the road. And that's, that's, that is tiring, you know, but that's the part mm -hmm. I love the most. So it's a, you know, it's a dichotomy obviously. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think the 
when we were, you know, uh, before we were full-time traveling, just the, just the ease of life. I mean, for me personally, I struggle with anxiety. So our lifestyle is not quite conducive when you struggle with anxiety because there's always that worry in the back of my head whether it's are we going to get are we going to get the van stuck today in the middle of nowhere with no service and have to self rescue to watching Jamie jump off a cliff that day wondering if that I'm going to be single at the end of the day sounds like so, I create all your anxiety if the van is stuck because <laughs> I got it stuck if I die wingsuiting I mean, that's not that's not a, fair that's not fair you get anxiety Here, look reality like you're saying like what do you do today she was hungry. So this morning, I was, I, was, I was trying to get a pair of boots for our Pakistan trip. And she was like bitching at me the whole time I was in the store spending money to get these boots. I was like, here's the theory for you. Sam. Here's the thought for you. I said, once you eat food, are you going to try to find something else to be angry about? Or can we enjoy the rest of the day? Actually, nothing. No, I knew it was going to be a smooth sailing day. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I, you know, that's the consistent thing about being on the road is different. I don't have a job to go to. We're together 24 hours a day. So you challenge yourself. Like, I can tell that you're, you're angry or you're, something's building up. So like, if we deal with this, if this is what's wrong for the day, do you have anything else to be upset about? And I think she was like, motherfucker, no. Okay, well then, good. Let's have a great day then. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, we, we still suffer from these things. Uh, but I, I'm, you, I don't know. You want, it's always a, a problem of wanting people to, you know, I, I think it's called validation, right? Like I'm a sponsored athlete. I have brands that, you know, we work with and stuff. And so for me, I think the biggest thing that I still struggle with is, is, is validation. Am I on the right path? Am I living a life, you know, worth living? Is this at the end of it? Is this, you know, was this a cool story? You know, so that, you know, the, you know, she might have anxiety and I have this never ending uh, sense of fulfillment. Like it's never enough. I can't relax. I can't rest. I don't care what mountain I climb or what I jump off of tomorrow. It has to be just as full tent as, 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 you know, and that's maybe why she's exhausted and I'm never, it's like tomorrow I'm like, how do I top yesterday? So it's this never ending uh, sense of, um, drive. of drive, but I'm so stoked. I'm so happy, <laughs> but I just think tomorrow could be better. <laughs> tomorrow will be better as long as the clouds aren't too low and that you can wingsuit. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I have a few questions. I'm conscious of time, right? But I have a few questions that I really, really want to ask. And I ask them all with complete kindness. Like I'm fully on your team with this. <laughs> is this lifestyle sustainable? On what aspects? Like financially, mentally, physically? All of it. But mostly the... F yeah. Ignore the money. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, they say that there's look, all these philosophies and theories in life of like, they're around because enough people thought it to be true that it became part of history. Like they say, you're only as old as, you're, as you, you, you feel, you know, or, you know, all these different things. Look, most explorers, you know, Christopher Columbus, he died of, you know, he was, he had depression. He died of thinking he was a failure. You know, he thought he didn't know that he had discovered the new Americas. A lot of these guys that are explorers or artists, Michelangelo, Leonardo's, all these people, they die hungry, broke, uh, you know, depressed, you know, not feeling appreciated, uh, not feeling valued. That's what all artists struggle with. I'm an artist. Yeah. So I obviously struggle with those, but it, the, the true Artists are the ones that are able to recognize it's not what is that you see today. It's what I leave behind. I'm trying to leave behind a story of overcoming adversity. So no, I, I owe it to myself and everybody else to show that this is, no, it's not, uh, it is sustainable because it's about following step four of my plan, execution. Finding if something is too much on my scale, I tone it down. If I'm risking too much of my life for a sport, I tone it down. If I'm not working hard enough, I wake up earlier. I get up at 5 a.m., 4.45, you know what I mean? Like to, to work. 
So it, it, it really is about a balance. Yeah. So step four, think about how you want, but like sustainability is step four. If it's too high, it's not sustainable. If it's too low, you're not going to succeed. Right. So you've got to find that balance through step four. If you truly want to reach your dream. And, and, and like, that's like asking a monk if it's sustainable for him to devote his life to spirituality. It's exhausting. They might doubt it. You might question it some days, but right. But isn't glory just on the other side of that? You know what I mean? Like, isn't it just on the other side of, of fulfilling your insecurities and your doubts and overcoming those different things? And, and, and in that moment, when you get one little win, when you get like one little breath of fresh air, that's when you, you've, you know, like you're rejuvenated. You're like maybe you're down, maybe you're hungry, maybe the finances, maybe you're fighting, whatever it is. What, all it takes is one little win. And you get that beep, beep, beep. And you, you know, you keep looking for that and you keep striving. And that, so no, I, you know, it's, I think it's totally sustainable for, for everybody to do, but not everybody will do it. And not everybody can do it because if everybody thought the way that I thought, then there wouldn't, then it wouldn't be so special of what we're doing. So that's the, the reality. My dad, I would get upset when people would work. And I said, why doesn't everybody work like I work? Why doesn't everybody get up earlier? I said, you know, I don't care if I'm getting paid minimum wage. I do the best I can at that job because I'm passionate about what I do. And my dad said, the world needs plumbers, Jamie. The world needs carpenters. The world needs mechanics. Some people just don't think that way. They're happy in their world. And what they're doing is not wrong. To them, that is their happiness. You have to live your life according to your terms of what makes you happy. And I was like, Ooh, okay, dad <laughs> drops the bombs of wisdom on me. Huh? So it's sustainable, but everybody has to choose what they want to be passionate about. And that's, that's hard. Yeah. Like well, finding something you're yeah. passionate about is truly hard. Huh? We've also well, learned as well, just from doing it for a couple of years about what, how to make it more sustainable for ourselves. For example, after spending a few years in a van, in in the same in in the Balkans and the area, it kind of felt the it felt the same after all. Doesn't matter if you're going on different adventures every day. It kind of started to feel a little stagnant. So we said, okay, let's change it up a little bit. It was also at the time when gas prices went real high because of the war. So we also were kind of um, forced into it, if you will. But then we switched over to a sailboat and we sailed for six seven months up to the, the Norwegian fjords. And no, now we we're no, just we back recently into a van and it's a different van. But it's like a whole new experience again. And we're rejuvenated. We're so happy to be in a van. It's raining today. We can, we can, we don't have to sit out in the rain while we move today. It's amazing, huddled up and, and miserable. So we've learned that for us to make it more sustainable, we have to change it up every once in a while. Yeah. Like Bruce Lee says, be like water, flow. Yeah, you know, mosquitoes don't don't grow in in, in flowing rivers, right? They mosquitoes and larvae grows in stagnant water. You know, keep flowing, baby. So <laughs> what were you gonna ask me before what were you gonna ask me? Uh, I can't remember. There's so much I want to ask you, but Doesn't we're matter, already man. over time. Um, well, I really, okay, quick fire. Just, do you think, you've sort of answered this in a way a minute ago, but do you both think, would you recommend this lifestyle to others? No. Not without the, the, the I don't want to say training, but. Multiple uh, quick fire. Multiple people have come work for us. We've had camera crews, friends, people, and they come with us and they never last because they say, man, that was fucking harder than I didn't know you guys worked this hard. I didn't know it was going to be this difficult. This is exhausting. I don't want to do this. No, I won't recommend what I do to anybody. What I will recommend is that you find something that you're passionate about and you see if you can work this hard towards your passion. Don't do what I'm doing. You can't do what I'm doing unless you're just crazy, right? Do what you want. Do it the best version of you. Do it because you want to, right? Traveling's hard. Van life's hard. All these things are hard, you know, whatever. But be, if it's being a father, be a 
great father, man. If it's being a husband, a wife, uh, a carpenter, whatever it is, just see if you can be the best version of that and see if being your best makes you happy. And if you get to the point where you're the, the best you can be at your passion and you're not happy, then I would suggest trying to do something else. Ace. Okay. Yeah, right. They're saying, we'll have to do another one of these one day because I, I want to talk to you about sailing and driving and anyway. Um, <laughs> this has been the philosophy and couples counseling episode, which is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I end every podcast with two questions and I'm keen for you both to answer them. Um, first is what scares you? That I'd wake up and not appreciate what I have. I'd say probably what scares me the most is falling back into old patterns and not realizing the growth that I have made. Uh, when I started this trip, I didn't know who I was. And Jamie would ask me the question. It was kind of became the mantra. It was like, why are you not stoked? And who's Sandra? And I didn't know. And to be honest, I'm still figuring it out. And I've made a lot of strides towards figuring out myself. And I think my biggest fear is not, you know, if you're not going up, you're you're going down, right? Like there's that um, that theory. And my fear is just falling back into uh, not becoming the best version of myself and not keeping the full momentum that I have been. Nice. And what mm-hmm. brings you both hope? The kindness of the people that we encounter. I don't know I mean. what hope means. I mean, maybe 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 I need to understand what you mean by the word hope. <laughs> Oh, well, that is a, no, you can't do that to me. Um, what do I mean by? <laughs> I believe I can. <laughs> what, 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 what do you mean? What is hope? That's a great question. Okay. Um, How do you want an answer out of me if you don't even know what it means? <laughs> yeah, well, no, but this is a semantics issue. I have to know. I'm not going to Google it. That's boring. What do I yeah, mean? What is by hope, hope to you, brother? What, what, okay. No, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a good job of it as well. What brings you hope? What I'm asking you is what in the face of adversity and issues and self-doubt, looking at the world as it is, your lives as they are, what makes you feel positive and gives you the motivation and the resilience to keep moving forwards with a smile on your face? Kind, kindness. I, it's that, still my same answer. The kindness of the people that are around us. There's been so many times that we have been physically stuck, mentally stuck, that we've been broken down in our van, we've been in in bad situations, and the kindness of strangers, people we've never even met, they just follow us, literally have helped us to keep this show on the road. Sometimes it's as small as a hot, much-needed shower. Sometimes I've been in, when we were having our van worked in, uh, um, the lady invited us into her house, asked if I wanted food. I said, sure. And she fills up a grocery bag of stuff from her, her fridge, like in her pantry, right? Like just... The kindness of strangers to help keep our mission going is what revives my hope and keeps me going. Fist bump that, baby. For me, uh, it's a little bit different, uh, but it's actually the the love of animals. Uh, not me loving animals, but surrounding myself with animals and, 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 and having the compassion that they have for me. Like I have three dogs around me. And for me, that's, I think, is my sanity. You know, I wake up, I, I go to bed saying goodnight, snuggling with all of them. And they're all individual characters of their own. But, you know, surround myself with with people or, oh, I'm getting snuggled right now. Literally just put her head into me as I said this. But uh, that, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's like the kryptonite to my bad energy. So anytime that negativity is creeping in or I'm getting aggressive or, you know, argumentative, one of the dogs comes up to me. And the fact that, that animals under you know that we 
have that bond with them, with dogs, with cats, whatever it is, that's my hope. I just surround myself and I think, you know, animals are the the true key to, to happiness for me, at least. I don't know everybody else, but there's nothing, tell me there's nothing cuter than a puppy or being <laughs> snuggled or kittens or, or animals, you know, like that's the reset, you know, like that's love, that's compassion. They t- are my hope. They are my, you know, freedom, my pit bull kept me out of prison. She taught me to love again. I had so much anger and aggression in me. Uh, but no matter what I did, she loved me and, and, you know, and the dogs loved me and that re taught me how to love because no matter what was going on in my life, I knew that I was loved. So that's hope, I guess, to answer your question Mm -hmm. metaphorically for, yeah. So I'm hope is animals, I guess, love of animals. Mm Mm-hmm. And you. I guess it's I love just you. love, right? Like the love of people, the love of animals. I guess love is hope then. Yeah, love. <laughs> yeah, right? To be loved. I mean, all, I guess, break it down human instincts is to nurture, right? To be loved. So hope is like Sandra. I think what she's even saying is love. People mm-hmm. love our adventure. They love us as a, as, as a team and what we're doing. And they want, they're willing to sacrifice their dinner, their food. And that's love. Animals snuggle. That's love. So I guess... If I'm, oh man, I feel so corny saying this, but I guess <laughs> love is as another word for hope, right? To be loved. Yeah, I can't oh. argue with that. We'll leave it softy. there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. We'll leave it there. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and is produced and edited by Orla O'Murray. If you want to get in touch, then you can do so at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk or you can get in touch on Instagram where you can find us at theadventurepodcast. And um, finally, please do leave us a review on iTunes. They make the world of difference when it comes to us accessing and reaching new audiences.